Simon. Is that live, gentlemen? Does that seem to be on? Yeah, wonderful. Yes, as Simon said, it's difficult to to speak on the subject of of love. Uh, Especially difficult when I'm not allowed to say what love is, because that's verse 4 and I've only got verses 1 to 3. And I'm I'm not allowed to say what love isn't, because that's verses 5 and 6. So it, it is a bit of a struggle knowing what to say, but more, more seriously, it, it, it is a difficult thing to talk about because, well, for one thing, everybody knows what love is, don't they? It's so simple, it's so obvious, you know, from, from our first experiences of being loved by our mothers as babies, that's, that's what we feel when we come into the world. It's where we begin, isn't it? How can you explain that to people? And yet, love obviously is something that's much more complicated and affects the whole of our lives in different ways. And I want to suggest three, three things that hopefully won't give away what love is and what it isn't, but will be acceptable for today. And I want to say that if, if we really have God's kind of love in our hearts, the world that we look at will look different to us. And the people that we look at will seem different to us. We'll, we'll see the same physical presence But what that means to us will mean something different. Now, I don't know whether you you always feel a full part of your family, or whether you ever feel like the odd one out, or whether you feel uh, a full part of your work team if if you have employment, or whether you feel a full part of your neighbourhood with your neighbours, or whether you're the sort of person who often feels like the odd one out. Maybe we all feel that from time to time. And maybe there are all sorts of reasons why we actually find the whole topic of love more difficult to talk about, and especially to hear about. I really pity you, actually. Uh, because it's, it's not the easiest subject in the world. Even from our earliest experiences, the families that we grew up in, they're never perfect, are they? And when we look at ourselves, we've got to admit that we're not perfect people either. And we sometimes make the situation worse rather than better because of what we do about it. And it makes it a very difficult topic for us. But the good news is that God wants us to learn about his love. And though that will take all our lives, it will be very healthy and healing for us. So let's turn to him and ask for his help as we begin. Father, we thank you for the message of your love that was confirmed and made so real to us in the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that in in what we think about this morning, that you would be speaking into our hearts, as it were, reaching in with your loving hand, like our Heavenly Father soothing us and reassuring us, like our Heavenly Surgeon touching those areas that need to be operated on, Lord, like our loving friend coming to us when we need to find our way out of the dark and into the light again. Father, give us confidence in your love, I pray. Amen. It's a strange time of the year for for me and and for others. Uh, I I dare say Sandra's been working for the whole of the summer break and hasn't had a summer break, but my my summer break officially ends on Tuesday. And it's going to be a weird day, actually. Uh, I've got an interview with a a colleague at 11 o'clock in the morning. And 
there's all kinds of history to that, which means that I, I'm, I'm not going in, as it were, with a completely clean sheet in my heart, though it would be great to have that. I have to be aware of potential problems, but I also have to be uh, open and, and able to bring the, the best and to want the best for that person. And if, if I find that a challenge, and if I find that brings out my feelings of insecurity and my desire to control a situation that I can't control, that's just one thing. Life is full of things like, like that. And looking with the eyes of love does make it different, but it's hard to do that when, when our hearts need to be operated on. And again, it's, this is not going to be a, a, a talk that says things that you've never thought of, but as we think about things that we've thought of before, may God apply them to us in ways that are right for today. First thing that love does is it lets us see a bigger picture than we would see otherwise. If I didn't have any love in my heart at all, I'd probably see the world totally from my point of view. And what would matter to me was, what, what am I going to get out of it? What's going to happen to me? Will this be good for me? Will this be bad for me? Love brings something completely different because it makes somebody else the focus of my attention. Suddenly, the other person is a real person and not just a piece of furniture in my life. Not just a potential nuisance, but somebody that I might be a nuisance to or a help to. It makes the other person significant. And I guess if you th think back or think forward, depending what stage of life you're at, to the experience of falling in love, if you've had that experience, it certainly seems that everything that's beautiful about the world was just an introduction to that person and a platform for them to arrive on because really your life is about getting to know that person and giving your best to them. Love gives you a different perspective, gives you a bigger picture because other people become the focus of your attention. They become significant. Now these, these by the way, are my notes. And these, these, are, these are my notes from some, somebody else's talk. Now, I don't, I don't often write notes on this talk, so I'm maybe being a bit headed by, by saying this. But I really enjoyed the, the, the talk that Louise did. Is she, is she out with the kids at the minute? Is she, is she, yeah. Uh, when she spoke about spiritual gifts, gifts that aren't yours, that they're, they're, they're given by God to be shared. And some of the things that she said I, I found really challenging and really helpful. And one of them was, was simply about sharing what God has given you and taking the risk that other people won't accept it and, and even being prepared to check whether it's right or not with people that you trust before you start sharing things generally. Being willing to be wrong and allowing other people to have a say in that. That, that takes a terrific amount of trust. And I, I try to encourage my, my students uh, to, to do that, to take a risk and not to worry if they're wrong, but just to have a go. Uh, at, at the end of the year last year, we, we, we have this thing called the Student Satisfaction Survey. You probably have them in every subject. Yeah. I like my teacher because I don't like my teacher. You know, the, the kind of thing. And uh, our surveys from, from my subjects area were so interesting that some of the senior staff decided to interview groups of students to find out exactly what they meant by, the, by their answers. And uh, I, I wasn't present, but I was 
I was shown a transcript of this, actually. And one student apparently said, well, the difference is, you see, Holvan has very low expectations of us. Whereas, whereas the other teacher has got really high expectations. And I thought, oh dear, that, that doesn't sound good. And I was being quizzed by the deputy principal of the college. You know, low expectations, you're not supposed to say that, actually. And I think what the student meant was they felt comfortable getting things wrong when it was me. They didn't feel comfortable getting it wrong when it was some other teacher. They didn't quite have the same feeling. And I, I sometimes deliberately ask questions that I'm not sure they know the answer to. But I say, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. What do you think? It's just the process of thinking about it. That's where we'll start from today. But love is like that. It's about, it's so important to make contact with that other person. Even before I'm certain how they'll react, I still want to. And I want to take the risk of being rejected or misunderstood, or perhaps even of, gotten, of, of, being, of saying something that's not really needed because I've got the wrong end of the stick myself. But you know, that doesn't matter because what we're expressing is a desire to be in fellowship, in partnership, in relationship with that other person. By even wanting to speak to them, we are saying, you matter to me. One of the reasons that I live is to speak to you and be with you because you're important to me. I'm not just here for myself. It's interesting the example that uh, Paul gives. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just making a noise. And uh, with, without going into too, too much uh, uh, theorising about what tongues of men and angels might, might be, there, there are lots of things that are expressed in church and in Christian circles that can be very dramatic and very impressive, might give us a wonderful feeling of the presence of God and the great joy that he has in us and maybe the great sorrow that he feels for the things that are not right in the world. And whether it's music or poetry or visual art or even sometimes good old-fashioned preaching or the way people pray or singing together, whatever it is that brings us that, that sense of an extra dimension, that's a wonderful thing. But if the singers or the speakers are just making a noise, not because they really love us, it's just a noise, no matter how beautiful it is. And Paul reminds us, of course we're going to be worried about our performance. None of us wants to stand up and do something and look, look like an idiot. But it doesn't matter if we do look like an idiot doesn't even matter if we get it wrong. What matters is that we love each other enough to try. And because what, what it is that I have to offer might possibly be of benefit to you. And, and I really want to engage with you and have that contact. And if at the end of it you say, no, thank you, that's not wonderful. But it's better to try and to keep trying because love sees the other person as significant. I can't go through my life without sharing with you the things that I believe God might be saying to you. That, that's the spirit I believe that Paul wants us to get into. A bigger picture that's got room for other people. And, and I also believe uh, love gives us a, a brighter picture, not a more colourful picture, not, not necessarily that everything looks wonderful, because the love of God acknowledges the problems that are in the world 
and real love brings a deeper pain as, as well as greater joy. The, t- the two things go hand in hand, actually. Uh, but it does allow us to look at other people and see the potential and to really want them to achieve that. I'm always struck by that verse in Mark uh, chapter 10, I believe it is, where it says, where Jesus meets the rich young ruler. And the, guy, the guy's asking about, you know, what does he need to do to, to get eternal life? And it says, Jesus looked at him, or looking at him, he loved him and said. And what Jesus said is quite interesting, because he basically said, your life's all back to front, mate. Uh, you need to just change everything and turn around and live a complete... You know, everything that you think is great is actually a load of rubbish for you. It's not helping you. But Jesus didn't speak in a, in a kind of off-putting way. He saw that guy and loved him and thought, I, I would love to be with this chap. I would love this guy to follow me. I would love to share my life with this guy. I'd love to hear what matters to him and share my father's love with him. I really want to be with this guy. I want my father's best for this guy. And that's why Jesus says, you need to get rid of all the paraphernalia of your present life. It's not bringing you nearer to God. Just get rid of that. Come and follow me. That's where your joy will be. And that was too much for that guy. He couldn't respond to that. Maybe he did later, maybe he didn't. We don't know. But at that moment, he just walked away from Jesus. But Jesus saw something in that man that moved him. And when we have eyes of love, we see something in the other person, each other, that in God's grace can move us and allow us to see a brighter picture of that person, have more hope and desire for good things in that person's life that we might have other ways, that we might have otherwise. And there's one particular way we can enter into that. Cue my wife. Because that is through prayer. We can look with eyes of love and see Jesus brighter, bigger picture of someone else when we pray. Um, Hovan just asked me to come and add a little bit, which is praying for people who we find difficult or who uh, there is estrangement or problems with. And it's important because prayer, obviously God hears and answers our prayer, but to begin with, you might be, as I get, hopping mad with people and um, you feel blocked, you can't sort of get through to them, and your heart is completely in the wrong place. But starting to pray for them changes you, changes me, starts to soften my heart, and it, uh, it makes, gradually you can start to see a brighter picture, as Hovind said, for that person. And I have a very live situation in my family at the moment where I'm estranged from someone, and it's very hard. And at times, I'm so angry, I could knock her into the middle of next week. But at other times, I just long for this relationship to be repaired. And I can't do it. It takes, you know, it's a two-way stretch. But what I can do is pray. And so I am praying. And I'm stumbling along in prayer, I can tell you. Um, But I know that God will change me, and he will be working on the other person. And somehow, it will get sorted. So it's just an encouragement, really, to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who are difficult, um, that we find difficult, and not to be blocked. And if you feel, I'm not willing to do that, you can pray and ask God to make you willing to be willing to pray. And I've done that as well. And I'm glad you get there. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. 
the letter that uh, John read from, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, was written to a very interesting church. It certainly wasn't a boring church, because there were all kinds of things going on. Lots of stuff. It was, in fact, it was, there was so much going on, it was a bit chaotic. And uh, people weren't always of the same frame of mind. And some people really wanted things to be done this way, and some wanted it to be done that way, and, and some wanted it to be done, done a different way. And all these groups tended to feel a bit aggrieved with each other. And, and, and it was all rather disjointed. And despite that, the Holy Spirit was really at work in that church. Paul never says to them, you're fakes. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, God doesn't speak to you at all. He doesn't say, all this, all this kind of Holy Spirit stuff is a fraud in your church. He doesn't say that. And even though they were disjointed and chaotic and in some ways immature in their relationships, God was still 100% with them. And Paul wanted them to get hold of this message that they were together in order to express God's love uh, not by ignoring the things that made life difficult, but by overcoming them and expressing God's love anyway and making those things secondary instead of primary. I don't know how you feel at Christ the Lord. Is this a chaotic church? I don't know. Is it a, group where, is it a place where we sometimes feel more comfortable with some people than others? Where some of us will have certain needs and desires just because of the stage of life that we're at compared to others. Some of us might want to have more, to choose quite a limited example, more traditional music because we're, we're used to worshipping God that way and we don't identify quite as strongly or personally with, with newer music. Others of us might feel exactly the opposite and feel, I just can't get into the older hymns. They don't mean anything to me. How do we do that? And there's a simple little recipe for the church to fall into two groups and be wanting different things. And that's, that's, what, that's the way it works out if the only dynamic is a self-centered human dynamic. But wouldn't this be weird? Wouldn't it be weird if older people who might feel on the edge of the church for all sorts of reasons said, Lord, what can I give to bless the younger people who seem to me to be at the center of all the church is doing? Wouldn't it be interesting if the young people who sometimes feel shut out by the, the characters who get the, you know, the, sort of the, the main floor space all the time uh, and who feel pushed onto the edge of things, said, Lord, what can I do to be a blessing, to be your messenger of love to those people who seem to be getting in my way, but you tell me they're my brothers and sisters? When we start to pray for those who seem to be in our way and ask God not just to bless them, but to make me a blessing. I'll tell you a little story about Deb, because this is a very important week for us. Friday is our 10th wedding anniversary. So we will be thinking about, thank you. It's, it's, it's really our 20th, because it's 10 years each, isn't it? So this is what it's, it's the only chance of catching up with other people. Uh, but quite, quite some years ago, a few years before we got, got married, I mean, Deb and I have been friends for years and years. Uh, I was chatting with, with Deb, and she said to me, I'm, I'm going to pray for God to send a good Christian woman for you. <laughs> you see, it's really, it's dangerous to pray for, for other people, uh, but, you know, God, God really wants to bless people. And God answered that prayer in a way that surprised Deborah. 
uh, but was a great blessing to me. We don't know how much we could release in each other's lives if we simply allowed ourselves to love in God's spirit.